0: So here we go, Matthew chapter 21, verse 17 through 46. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. That was the strange place to start. Verse 18, in the morning, he was returning to the city. As he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, If you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to the mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive, if you have faith. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you that authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you will tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John From where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it amongst themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyards today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son, and he said the same. And he answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did, did the will of the father? They said, The first, Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, saw it you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for the fruit grew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit, and the tenants took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent another servant. He, again, he sent other servants, more than the first. And they did the same to them, and finally he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? They said to him, He will put the wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants, who will give him his fruit in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people producing the fruits. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And, that, and although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just uh, come before you today as your people grateful that we can raise our worship and praise to you father that we can celebrate you today and this time of the season uh, together and individually as families lord lord we ask your blessing on this congregation we ask your blessing on pastor Jackie as he delivers your message today we ask your anointing on him lord we just uh, pray for our nation and pray for all those that are suffering in our church father We uh, raise them up to you and ask your blessing and peace over them. And, Lord, as we close, we want to raise up our Sunday school teachers and volunteers, Lord, that are teaching our children. Be with them this morning, Father. And, Lord, we just pray all these things to your precious Son, Jesus. Amen. Children, you're excused.
1: For those of you who are wondering, my Bible doesn't have verse 47 either. <laughs> so, so this morning, in order to, uh, to do a normal Jackie sermon, I have three pages of outlines. That's how I know I'll be over 45 minutes. So today I got five. Really have no time to be sharing silly things like this. But I want you to see how all of chapter 21 fits together. So if you remember, we did Palm Sunday last week, right? Jesus coming into the temple and then cleansing the temple. Now, that is, Matthew did not place this in this place of his gospel just haphazardly well this was when it happened he's telling you he's building events around it things for you to see so that you can understand what's going on what is it that's that's happening uh, spiritually as as jesus comes into the city the king came to the center of all religious activity the glory returned to the temple mount in the person of jesus christ Expecting to find fruit. And what he found was the blind, the corrupt, the lame, and the fruitless. So what will he do? And if you think about that in light of all the things we've read, you can begin to see how pieces fit together. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us that there is a Magic key to pleasing God. And your ability to please God really has far less to do with what you do and a whole lot more to do with what you believe. Now, what you believe will eventually affect what you do, right? The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, for without faith it is impossible to please God. So Jesus comes to the temple looking for faith. How many, we, we've heard already Jesus say this phrase, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? So he comes looking for faith. And what he finds is a system that's been built to um, make things more streamlined. I mean, well, this is the way it used to work. You'd have to go and you look at your own flocks and you pick the very best of your flock. Now, the very best of your flock might not be as good as your neighbors, but it's your best. And the point was to understand that this Passover was to be personal. But all that takes time. Then you have to bring it, and you, in order to make sure that you're not bringing sick or lame. The priests have to examine it. And, you know, it was just so much easier for them just to get a bunch of their own sheep. And you don't even have to worry about bringing a sheep from your own place anymore. No no personal sacrifice. You just go, exchange your money, buy a sheep, and give that to God. He came looking for faith. And he cleansed the temple because instead of a house of prayer, it had become a den of thieves now it has nothing to do with whether you can buy something or not buy something at the temple it has to do with how you worship how do you please God by faith so you bring the offering that you bring and by faith God is pleased you remember the story goes all the way back to Cain and Abel you remember their story I know a lot of people want to argue about what was brought or what wasn't brought. You know, one was a a lamb he brought. The other was fruit of the field. But in the sacrificial system, both were allowable. And there was no sacrificial system, by the way, at the time of Cain and Abel. But one that was offered by faith. Here's how to simplify it. And one was not. So one pleased God, and the other did not. And rather than consider why it did not please God, instead, murder entered into the equation. Because murder is far easier than figuring out how to please God, right? You're going to see that today in the eyes of the same kind of people. So when we look at the story... This is also, it's not just a question about what did he find when he came to Israel. We'll see that uh, as we go from 21 all the way to the end of of Matthew now. We're going to see that the judgment of the Son of Man uh, that's going to be poured out on on Israel. We'll, We'll see that occur in 70 AD. But beyond that, there's questions about what does the Lord find for us? I mean, okay, so Israel finds their judgment in 70 AD. What about you and I? You ever read the book of Revelation? You ever let me ask you a better question. Do you ever examine yourself to make sure you're good? Because in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, the church of Laodicea said this I am rich, I have prospered, I have need of nothing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So I counsel you to buy from me gold refined and in the fire so that you really may be rich and white garments from me so that you may be righteous and salve to anoint your eyes so that you can see, perceive. This self-examination is important because in a moment we're going to read about a fig tree that had everything that looked like it should have fruit, but in reality what the fig tree is doing with all of the The uh, leaves it's hiding it's fruitlessness oh you remember Adam and Eve when they fell they did what kind of leaf was it they used I'm sure that's just happenstance right so what was the purpose of the fig leaf to cover their shame you get the idea so In Hosea 9.10, it says, God speaking through the prophet uh, Hosea, he says, like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like, you know, you're wandering through the desert and you're really thinking, I wish there was a Circle K here somewhere, but there's not. And so he finds grapes in, in the desert. You don't expect to find that, right? So he's like, oh, that's what Israel's like, grapes in the wilderness. I found Israel like the first fruit on the fig tree. In its first season, I saw your fathers, all the hope that God had for the nation. But they came to Baal Peor and consecrated themselves to the thing of shame and became detestable like the thing they loved. You become like that which you worship. Israel became detestable because of what she worshiped. The king came to the temple. And he cleansed the temple, and he's going to be examined. We're in the final week of his life. He's going to be examined, and then he's going to be rejected, just like he's going to tell us in this chapter. In verse 17, it says, Now leaving them, he leaves the temple, and he went out to the city of Bethany and lodged there. And I know sometimes I do things that don't make sense. But in Mark 11, 11 and 12, It tells us, gives us, helps us understand the order of events. What's going on with the fig tree? It says, He entered Jerusalem, went to the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, it was already late, so he went to Bethany with the twelve. And on the following day, they came from Bethany, and he was hungry. And seeing the fig tree, verse 19, by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. So he said, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. So he came to the fig tree expecting fruit. And this is going to tie in through all throughout these next couple of parables. He's come to the fig tree, for example, think of the temple. He's come looking for faith. Where's the faith? It's no different than if he's coming to your house. What's he looking for? He's looking for faith. You may be able to do a lot of things. You may be able to quote a lot of verses. It's possible to develop quite the head knowledge of the Lord. But you will not fool him without you must have faith. You must believe. It's like having confession without conduct. So in terms of the scripture where we find ourselves in the book of Matthew, you have a nation that has no fruit. It's a fruitless nation. And Jesus has exposed the leadership of this nation and the people that they're blind, that they're corrupt, that they're lame, and they're fruitless. And he's done it over and over and over and over again. And now he has just done it again. Now, I want you to think about the religious leaders. I want you to think about those who are guiding the nation. Because Jesus is going to point to the ones in the nation who are going to make it into the kingdom, isn't he? Well, it's not going to be a list of people you're thinking he says, our life will always be transformed by faith. Think about our life in Christ. Can you, is it possible to pro- profess Christ and have no transformation in your life? Well, you can say anything you want to, but it's not real if there's no transformation, Right? I mean, because there's a transformation. When you meet Jesus, it's like getting hit by a train. You don't just walk in and say, I got hit by a train today, but you look fine. So when we've been, when we encounter Christ, man, that's transformational. He has changed us. 2 Timothy 3 verse 4 says, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They have the appearance of godliness, but... He's talking about make-believers, right? Make-believers, fake-believers, professors that are not possessors, uh, people who have a confession but no conduct, and it's not because... You can't do the things. Like, we can do the things. I can come forward and I can profess Christ. I can stand before a congregation, profess Christ, and be dunked in the water. Uh, The conduct that the Bible is talking about is transformation. You see, when you come to Christ, you're crucified with him. And you become a new creation, created in Christ Jesus. You become... New. Faith does that. Faith does that. Micah 7.1, the prophet says, Woe is me, for I have become as when summer fruit has been gathered and the grapes are all gleaned, but there's no cluster to eat. It's harvest time, but where's the harvest? It's transformation time, but where's the transformation? Jesus just left the temple where there's no life. There's just ritual, and that ritual has been streamlined to the point that you don't even have to think about what you're doing. You just bring your 10 bucks, buy a lamb, walk it up to this line, hand it to the priest. priest says, thanks. He goes and kills a lamb. You get It's, it's like going to McDonald's. And so Jesus is, he is exposing the fruitlessness, the lack of faith, And what will be the result of that? In the gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verse 41, Jesus, as he's drawing near the city, this same city, there he's at now, he wept over it and said, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, and the days will come upon you, When your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and they will tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you and they will not leave one stone on another because you did not know the time of your visitation. We get to the end of this chapter, Jesus is gonna say you're rejecting the cornerstone. And the result of rejecting the cornerstone The trajectory for Jerusalem lands in destruction in 70 AD. Now, well, we'll we'll talk about it. That, That doesn't mean she's lost, does it? No, no. We have all failed and fallen short. Romans 11 tells us her loss is not eternal. The Lord has not cast her off, but you see a new nation being birthed. That new nation is the goyim. The Bible calls it the time of the nations. We use the word Gentile. Or sometimes we use the word church, but but those kind of cloud up the point. The point is the Lord is drawing the nations. Every tribe, nation, and tongue is coming Now, I want you to see where the story goes, okay? So, he curses the fig tree. So, you have this picture. For me, there's no way to remove the concept of Israel from that picture, okay? You don't get to say the fig tree is Israel on one verse because you like it, and then the fig tree is not Israel the next time, right? That's inconsistency. So, so... There's no way not to see Israel. There's no way not to see the destruction in 70 AD that's coming, the judgment that's going to come on the nation for rejection. As we read this story, it's going to be impossible for you to argue with me, so don't try, because we're going to come to the parable of the vineyard, right, in the same context of what we're talking about. Okay, but here's what I want you to see. Now, when the disciples saw it, they saw the fig tree, the fig tree just withers. It don't gradually die. It just, it's gone. And the reason is because the purpose of the point of the story is not for us to focus on Israel or for us to focus on some whatever our theological basis is uh, for the future of Israel. It's not f- to focus on that. It's to focus on faith. How do I know that? Because the disciples are going to say, how did the fig tree wither at once? How in the world did this happen? It happened... Jesus is going to say to them, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what's done to the fig tree, but you will even say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown in the sea and it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So he's, he's building off of that, the olive tree, or sorry, the fig tree. He's building off of the fig tree and he's saying now, it's about faith. Why is it about faith? Because faith is how we please God. Faith is how we have a relationship with God. That's not a new idea. In in the book of Genesis, how is it that Abraham had a relationship with God? What does the Bible say? Abraham did what? He believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Right? Abraham had faith. Right? God made Abraham a promise. You're going to have children. Abraham's 90 years old, still didn't have any kids. But what did he do? He believed God. So did God move a mountain for him? Oh, because he had faith in God. Nowadays, people who come to this text, they lose the focus of where the faith is, and they make faith the thing, as though if we're going to streamline this, we're going to go to McDonald's now and pick up our faith, and we just have faith in the word faith. Just believe. No, you don't just believe. It matters what you believe in. Where you place your faith. Our faith is to be placed in Jesus Christ. Israel is taken away because of unbelief. And the goyim, the Gentiles, are grafted in because of faith. Now we should not boast, right? Okay, Romans chapter 11, verse 17. If some of the branches were broken off and you... Although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others, you now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. So here's the nourishing root that gives the nation of of Israel her life or gives the church her life or you or I our life. The root is faith. The fruit comes as a result of the root. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. How do I abide in Christ? Through faith. You see the pieces? The, this is how these things work together. And I want you to understand, if you are, <clears throat> I'm sorry, to the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. For if you are, remember, it is not you who support the root. The root supports you. The root And so then you will say, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, that's true, right? From unbelief, branches were busted off through belief. You can be grafted in. They were broken off because of, what's it say? They were broken off because of their unbelief. How do you come to a relationship with Jesus Christ? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, Believes in Him, so we see that this this function of God, as He's as He's as we see the, the pieces all come together. This is not new. This is the way things occurred in the Old Testament. This is the way things occurred in the New. God didn't get saved in the middle and change everything. If your theology does that, you're you're cracked. You crack pots are okay; they leak stuff everywhere, and that's good. <laughs> but we want to. The Bible says God is immutable. You know what that means? It means he doesn't change. Okay, so <clears throat> they were broken off because of their unbelief, and you stand fast, how? Through faith. Is that something we should boast in? What does the Bible say in Ephesians chapter 2? We are, we are uh, for you have been saved by grace through, and it's what? It's a gift of God? Not of works, lest someone would boast. Right? In Romans 11, he's saying, look, no boasting. We're not boasting. Don't boast because if you find yourself in the same place, if God didn't spare the natural branches, if he judged them for their unbelief, will he do different for yours? So... When we look at the story, Jesus curses the fig tree. We see the implications maybe nationally for the future. It's going to come. That's going to become more plain as we go through the following chapters. But he wants the disciples to get the point. The point, he's not saying, look, don't, don't, don't go crazy about the, the fig tree. You need faith. Because with faith, you can be a 90-year-old man who believes he's going to have a child. With faith, you can be an army that just marches around a city and believes that God's going to give you the victory. Is there, there's no shortage of stories about how through faith God delivers, right? And it's no different for us today. It's no different for us today. You have faith in God, not faith in faith, not faith in what you want, faith in God. And he will deliver you. And when you stand before him, you will not be disappointed on the how. You will not. You will praise his holy name. So Jesus is saying, look, you have to have faith. 1 John 5, 14 and 15, we see the presence of faith. Look, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. We can have this confidence, confide. We can have our faith in the, the, the character of God. We can have trust in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The psalmist declared for us, I think, something that we have to, that we need to hold on to. The psalmist makes this declaration that if I delight myself in the Lord, he will give me the desires of my heart. Now, it's hard for me to trust my heart wants a lot of things. Does your heart ever want things you probably shouldn't have? So you know how we get our hearts under control? Delight yourself in the Lord. Learn to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What does God promise? And I will give you the desires of your heart. I'll put them there. I'll put them there. Put your faith in God. Now, our struggle is, our struggle is all of our fears. It's hard to walk in fear and faith at the same time. You ever figured that out? It's hard to walk in fear and faith. And it's not just the idea, well, I'm just going to churn up in myself faith. No, that's not how we do it. How do we do it? We fall down. The most powerful times I've ever seen God work is when a person falls on their knees before a holy God and just cries out to them in their in, in their uh, hopelessness. I can tell you right now that you can count on one hand how many people have ever been delivered from HIV. So I've been doing this 25 years and I've only ever met one. But I remember... Falling down in front of a couch as a sinful man and saying, there's nothing I can do. So I'm just going to trust you. Is God able to move mountains? Can he do anything? For sure. For sure. It's our faith in him. Our trust in him. When he comes, will he find faith in the earth? When he looks at you, when he's, when he's, you know, just imagine this, okay? When he's looking at you from heaven, does he look at you and see your faith toward him? Oh, I, I trust you, God, not your words your faith and think about the people he's going to point to prostitutes tax collectors he's going to point to the dredges of people that that weren't very good at playing on the outside like they were good they they everybody knew if it was a hooker everybody knew right it's not any different today you know we we have some of those same things you you see a person you know what's up oh he's a crackhead or she is or Or whatever. We see that stuff. Well, those people, when they come to God, they don't have anything. And they fall down before God like that tax collector. And they beat their breasts. And they say, Lord, I believe you are able. And God delivers. He is able. And he wants his disciples to know that. I am able. The presence of faith, trust in God. God. Then we have the problem of doubt, right? He says right here, if you have faith and do not doubt, doubt means double-minded. Doubt is a picture of what Israel was their whole history. On one side, you say you're the people of God, and on the other side, you're always worshiping idols. Every Old Testament book has this battle against idolatry from Genesis all the way through Malachi, That's what the word doubt means. It means double-minded. Doesn't mean like, oh, I I doubt it's going to rain today. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about having two souls, two minds. You're not of one heart. The thing that God said to David is he's a man with an undivided heart. He's someone after God's own heart. Why? Because God's heart is not divided. David's heart was not divided. Was he perfect? No, he's an adulterer and a murderer. Not perfect. He had an undivided heart. He wanted God more than he wanted all that other stuff. And so he had faith in God. You can change me. You can do this in me. It's a being double-minded. It says in, in James 1, 5 through 8, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all. So you want to say, I want a prayer that's going to be answered. This is one. <clears throat> Without reproach, it'll be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. Not double-minded. Not two hearts. One heart. That's why the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. It doesn't say love him with half your heart and your heartily with the other half. It doesn't say love the Lord your God with half your heart and your family with the other half. It says love the Lord your God with all your heart. He wants it all. Loving the Lord with all your heart is not the same idea as loving the Lord with all your love and no one else can receive any love. It's just not having a divided heart, not being a person of, of two souls, or like the Indians used to say, forked tongue. You say one thing and do another. Uh, that's how we see it. That's how it's evident in our life, because the person who's like that is like a wave being tossed to and fro, right? You don't know where he's at. Where are you going? What's going on? Because your heart's divided. Here, I'm here today. I'm not here today. I'm into it. I'm not into it. I want to walk with you, Jesus. I don't want to walk with you, Jesus. You get the drill? That person, he doesn't receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable. That's a great picture of Israel and the whole story of the Old Testament. Double-minded, 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 double-minded. Have faith in God. Listen to what Jesus said in John 14, verse 12. Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me. Now this is... Don't, don't miss out how mind-boggling this is. Jesus is now saying for you to believe in him, not ask the Father for anything in my name. He's going to say me. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Faith in God is a principle of prayer. Whole heart devoted to God. That's a principle of a relationship. Fellas, if you're married, just lean over and ask your wife how she feel about you giving her half your heart. Honey, you're going to be my, my, my wife Monday, Wednesday, and Friday but the other days I'm going to be single. Is that okay? Because that's exactly the picture that God gives through the book of Hosea about the unfaithfulness of Israel when he says your heart is divided. With faith you can please God. The cool thing is Romans chapter 5 tells us that this is an act that God does to us. Remember I told you, you you can't fake transformation? Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, somewhere around verse 5, that the love of God is poured out of your heart through the Holy Spirit. It was given to us. So, so the, our ability to have an undivided heart is actually a gift God gives us by faith in salvation, in our regeneration. He gives us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit helps us have a heart that is focused on him and it brings that transformation so that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you can point to what I used to be and demonstrate who I am now. There's been a transformation. Or when you look at my tree, there's fruit. You get it? Faith. We need faith. So Jesus walks into the temple. We're still dealing with the same things. He walks into the temple. Chief priests and the elders come to him, and he's teaching, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who told you you could do this? He's talking about the cleansing of the temple. Who gives you the right to cleanse the temple? Who who are you? Oh, I'm sorry. I am the Kabold of God. I am the Shekinah. I'm the glory of God. You, you didn't know? That's why I have authority. I'm God in the flesh. But Jesus is not going to answer the question that way. What's he going to say? They ask him the question. They're troubled over these issues. What is your authority and who gave it to you? So Jesus said, I'll ask you a question. If you tell me the answer, by, then I'll tell you by what authority? He's still going to tell him. by the way. You'll see in a minute. The baptism of John, where did it come from, heaven or man? So they discussed it among themselves. And they say, if we say from heaven, he's going to say, why did you not have faith? Why didn't you believe him? If you believe that John was from heaven and he said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he pointed to the son of God and said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Why did you not respond like all those other people that are beneath you who repented and turned and said, I'm ready, Lord, and became the fruit on the day of Pentecost. Why why haven't you responded in faith? But if we say from man, the crowd will kill us. (laughs) yeah why because everybody said John was from God you see what's not entering into the equation any desire to put faith in what John told them which is exactly what the nation of Israel did with every prophet that came to her you're going to see it in the next parable every prophet that came to her so They said, We don't know. (laughs) Uh, My dad used to get so mad if I said, I don't know. Man, I had to duck because something was coming. If I said, Hey, what happened to the? I don't know. Something was flying across the room. (coughs) I learned real quick if I don't know the answer, I'm just going to find some other way to say that. Not, I don't know. They knew the answer. They don't want to say the answer. So he said, then neither will I tell you the authority by which I do these things, but what I will tell you is a story. There were two sons. A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and do the work in the vineyard. And he said, No. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to have anything to do with this. But afterward, he changed his mind, and he went. First son, everyone who responded to the message of John. Every person that responded to the message of John repented right? And they said initially in their life, they weren't being obedient to God. They weren't doing what God wanted. But then John said, hey, your hearts are wrong. Your hearts are twisted. The Messiah has come. You need to get that sin out of your life. You need to churn. You need to repent from it. He, did, he didn't tell them, you know, just think happy thoughts. He said, no, that's, it's wrong. Repent. So tax collectors and prostitutes are like, we repent, and then what they do? They went and did what they were supposed to have done in the first place. This is the illustration of the first son. But he went to the other son and said the same. And he said, oh, right away, I'll go right away. But he did not go. Which one does the will of his father? Oh, the scribes and the Pharisees are their second son. You're saying you're responding to what God wants, but you're not responding to what God wants. You know that the anointing was from John was from heaven, but you weren't obedient to what he said. You have become just like the ones who slew the prophets before. You're their children. So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes will go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. But tax collectors and prostitutes, they believed him. No faith, faith. You see it? No faith, faith. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Jesus is not saying you you weren't convinced. No, he says you were absolutely convinced he was from God and you still won't do it. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So Jesus goes on, verse 33. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, built a tower, and leased it to its tenants, went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. It is, <clears throat> says, Isaiah 5. Same same story. The Pharisees are going, I wonder what he's talking about. (laughs) They're going to say in a minute, he's talking about us. He's talking about the nation of Israel. Look, and the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same. Who are the servants? You don't need a degree to figure this out. Who are the servants that were coming to the vineyard to tell them, hey, You you owe the master. That's a picture of all the prophets. They don't want to listen to the prophet. They want to reject the prophet, kill the prophet, stone the prophet, beat the prophet. But don't listen to the prophet, right? The history of the nation of Israel. Finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, but when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir, come let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Coming soon, right? Yeah, the Pharisees, are, are they totally understand what's going on. So w- when the owner of the vineyard comes, What will he do to those tenants? This is the answer of the Pharisees. And it's interesting to me because you have this similar answer that's spoken at the crucifixion by the scribes and the Pharisees. His blood be on us and on our... Oh, my gosh. Why would you with your own lips curse your kids? Because when Rome comes the children are going to perish too. What? Man so wants his sin, he will let everyone else be damned in order to have it. So they said, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits of the season. So Jesus said to them, <laughs> he's not even going to say, you're right. That's coming in 30 years, in your lifetime. You guys will see it. The rebellion will rise up in around 66 or maybe as early as 63, and they're going to come, and and they're going to take over the temple area full of thieves and robbers and cutthroats. And they're going to kill the priests. They're going to kill some of you. They're going to kill Caiaphas. They're going to kill Annas in an effort to riot, get this rebellion going, get this rebellion happening against Rome. They don't care what happens to everybody else. And by 70 AD, there won't be one stone left on another. It'll all be gone. Same things that they are saying, this is what God should do, but listen to what Jesus said to them. Have you never read the scriptures? Are, you guys are supposed to be the, the studied ones. The stone that the builders rejected is the chief of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Psalm 118.22. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its, what's the word? (laughs) This all is the same story. It's apart from faith. It is impossible to please God. You have the rejection of Messiah, the building of the ecclesia, what we call the church. But ecclesia doesn't mean church, it's just a made up word we put together. Ecclesia means the gathering. The gathering of what? The gathering of every tribe, nation, and tongue together under one banner. What's the one banner? Jesus Christ. The gathering of the ecclesia. He is the cornerstone, the chief of the corner, the one who holds it all together, that makes it all straight, that makes it all work. And we all build on his foundation, but be careful how you build, amen? Because that will be judged. If you build with wood, hay, and stubble, it will be burned away. But gold, precious gems... We be careful how we build. Jesus points to a specific prophecy about himself. I'm the stone that was rejected. Think all the way back to Daniel chapter 2. What comes out of the heavens and destroys the kingdoms of men? A stone. What did Jesus say? Here he is. I'm the stone. I'm the stone. Everybody thought when he destroyed the kingdoms of men, he was going to do it in such a way that with battle and warfare. And that day will come. But really, he destroyed the kingdoms of men just by his sacrifice. And established the kingdom of God in a sense, it's already and not yet, right? We're going to see it. It's hard to have the kingdom without the king. Amen? The king's alive. The king's in heaven. The king's coming again. Amen? Jesus Christ, he's that stone. And he's... predicting his rejection. The stone the builders rejected. You're rejecting me. I'm the son. Who owned the vineyard? Jesus is not unclear to them. Jesus is saying he's the son of God. I'm the son of God. I have come and you are rejecting me. Romans nine twenty five through 26 says this. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people I will call my people and her who was not loved I will call love. Jesus said, who's coming in? Prostitutes and tax collectors. Those people you say are not my people. Those people you say are not loved. In the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called the sons of the living God. They will. They will in Christ. Jesus is going to accomplish this. (laughs) He proclaims, the importance of this stone. It is the chief of the corner. In Acts 4, verse 10, it says, Let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you well. This is a trial. Silver and gold, have I not? You guys remember the story? Such as I have, I will give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Who told that man he could walk? Now they got to go to court. And in court, Peter is preaching. And he says, this man is made well by Jesus whom you crucified. <laughs> I bet they got tired of hearing that. Look at verse 11, Acts 4, 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. And he has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no name under heaven by which men must be saved. By the name of Jesus Christ. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. How do I come to him? Jesus told us. Fall on your knees. I can't tell you about my whole life. I grew up in a lot of places, but in a single wide trailer with no hope, HIV looming, my wife pregnant with our first son. I was unfaithful, broken, dirty, no good for nothing man. And I fell in front of this hideous couch in a hideous trailer filled with roaches. And I said, if it's all you or it's nothing, Beat my breast, and I said, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's how we come to Christ. We don't come to Christ with excuses. We don't come to Christ with a lot of other things. We come to Christ recognizing our sin, repenting from it, lifting our eyes to heaven, and asking him, in mercy, save me. And we live our lives by faith. And God changes us. You, there's people I met, people that knew me in the Marine Corps. I bumped into them on Facebook a year ago. And they almost all had a stroke. They're here telling all these stories about, you remember when Jackie did, and you remember when he did, and you remember when he did. What do you do now? <laughs> Lord, have mercy on my soul. When God changes your life, he changes your life. That is what being saved is all about. I don't want to be a dried up fig tree who fakes fruit. I want to be fruitful. How am I fruitful? I don't have to do nothing. I don't have to think up a system. I don't think up a plan. I don't put all that stuff together. I got to do one thing, abide in Christ. My faith in him. How do I get my prayers answered? My faith in Christ. My trust in him. And then I ask. And he does. It's all about trusting him. What were the scribes and the Pharisees doing? Rejecting him. What did they like? Their plan. They liked their plan Were they on the throne, Were they in charge. And they looked religious and they looked good on the outside, but there was never a transformed life. There was never a transformed life. There was no fruit on that tree. In Ephesians 2 verse 19, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. See the new nation, the new entity in Christ, the body of believers made up of Jew, Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. He has tore down the middle wall of separation. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. 1 Peter 2, verse 6 says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Who's he talking about? Jesus Christ. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the rule. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And they stumble, why? Because they did not, they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. If you walk in unbelief, that's the only place that road goes. It'll never go anywhere else. That road, there's road signs all over it. It does not lead to life so when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parable, they perceived he was speaking about them. So they got it, right? They understand. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they were afraid of the crowds because the crowds all perceived him to be the prophet. The crowds were all, oh, no, you don't, you're not touching him yet. Why? Because there's a day. There's a day. There's a beautiful I wanna say is it Billy Sunday does the message it's it's Friday now but Sunday's coming? Ah. Uh, it's Friday now but Sunday's coming. It's Friday now. They've got him on the cross. He's dead and they're putting him in the ground. But it don't stay Friday, does it? It's Friday now, but Sunday's coming we look and we recognize they can't take him because it's not his day yet, right? It's not his time. There's a specific time when he's headed to the cross in fulfillment of scripture, a specific time where, where he's going to offer up his life. <clears throat> and that hasn't changed for you or I. There's a day, maybe it's today, I don't know. I don't know the day but I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded he's able to keep me to that day. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Amen? Why don't you stand with me let's pray. Father God, I am so thankful for the truth of your scripture, for the reality, God, that there's, there's, not a, there's not a degree of man that is necessary to come to your word. But we do come to your word through careful study, not, not lazily, not haphazardly. Seriously, we come to your word, Lord, and we seek understanding, we seek the blessing of, of you, because the word is alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, it will divide between the thoughts and the intent. It will pierce deep. God, I pray that we would be men and women who are responding in faith to your word. Our trust is in you. Our hearts are being disciplined to be undivided because it's not going to be natural. We have to discipline them. We bring them into submission by the power that Jesus Christ has given us through his spirit. Paul would say, my flesh battles against my spirit every day. And I struggle knowing what to say and what not to say. And I've got this battle inside of me. But I thank God through his son, Jesus Christ. He has saved me from this body of death. So there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, as you, your spirit looks over this place, I pray that there are trees abiding in Christ, bearing fruit. The root ultimately is is God himself. The root ultimately is Jesus Christ. And we attach ourselves to the root by faith. And by faith, when we are attached to the vine, the branches bear fruit. And the Father, he's a good vine dresser. So if there's a branch that's not bearing fruit, he clips it off, just like the fig tree. But if there's a branch bearing fruit, he prunes it so that it might bear more fruit. It's done by faith, not willpower, not some magical self-control. It is accomplished by faith. We have one thing to do. What's the one thing? Abide in Christ. Jesus said, if you abide in me, then I will abide in you. Like the branches attached to the vine, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. The, The fruit comes out of the root of faith, attached to Christ. That fruitfulness pours out of our life. And the fruit of the Spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness. Scripture lay out for us that these things flow out. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples because they'll see your fruit. You will love each other. Because you're abiding in the vine. Fruit happens. And we only do that by faith. We come to you by faith. We put our weight in you, Jesus Christ. You are that which sustains us and upholds us and carries us through this wicked generation. And we do it solely and completely because of a faith that comes from you through your word into my hearing, out of my life. Everything I need, everything I am, everything I'll be comes from you. God, I pray as we have a moment, we have time. It's no place we have to be. I pray that we would be men and women who seek your face. Don't come before the judge and and say I never really thought about it. Why not? As elders and deacons and leaders of the church will be present in the front of the church and around the sides they want to pray with you they want to encourage you they want to help you so God I pray you pour out your spirit in this place that men and women who don't know you would come to know you this morning I pray Lord that those who are struggling in sin would find deliverance in this place this morning I pray Lord that those that need healing will find healing in this place this morning I pray, Lord, that you pour out your spirit in this time that we have reflection and seeking your face and that you be glorified through it all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.